0: Hi, I'm Kevin Kiner, I'm the composer of Star Wars Clone Wars, and you're listening to Spoiler Country.
1: Human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoiler-verse. Through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle, with John and Kendrick, welcome to Spoiler Country.
2: Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail
3: at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilcountry at gmail.com.
2: Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back. To Spoiler Country, I'm Kenneth Regan. that's Mr. Horsley, and today on the show... Well, I hope you're a big Star Wars fan, uh, specifically Clone Wars, and maybe you're a big Star Trek fan instead and you love Enterprise, or maybe you want to sit back and enjoy the comedic stylings of Jane the Virgin.
3: Or maybe you're a kid of the 80s, early 90s, and you watch Superboy.
2: Yeah. All of that combined has one thing in common for sure, and that's the music. Yeah. And today we have Kevin Kiner, the composer of all
3: that. We do. We do. And I got a chance to sit down with uh, Robert Savinsky from Shooting the Sith, who you've heard on the show before, and he's also from, from Bridging the Geekdom. So go check out those two shows because they're, they're really good. And Geek, Geekdom's back on full force, which is kind of cool. But today, Robert and I sat down and talked with Kevin Kiner about composing music. We talked about Superboy. We talked about Star Trek. We talked about Star Wars. We talked about... And Star uh, Trek. No, we didn't talk about Star Trek though. but It's on there. We talked about we talked about Star Wars a lot. We also talked about Jane the Virgin. We talked about what it was like. Wait, wait, to, wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. You had Robert on and you talked about Star Wars a lot. No flipping I know, way, right? Shocker, right, <laughs> right.
3: Um, we talked about. It, it's interesting because, as you'll notice later in the episode, I asked him. You know, he was he was composing Jane the Virgin, making a murderer, and uh, Star Wars all at the same time, and it's like.
2: How do you keep all that in track?
3: Right. How do you how do you keep all that going? You know, and he also he also composed. You know, he, he does music for for Doom Patrol, for Nosferatu, for Titans, for How Narcos. excited
2: is Johnny right now? You it guys was, don't ever was, hear him get this <laughs> excited for somebody.
3: <laughs> it was he was he was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun talking with him, and we talked about That's music. Awesome. We talked about about everything. He was just he was a really cool guy to talk with, and and learning that he's you know he composed with his kids, and his kids help you know are doing stuff with him too now. It's like it's it's like I, as I tell as you'll hear me say he's kind of living the dream where he's doing what he loves and his kids some of his kids are also doing that with him which is just what I aspire to go to well, I, my kids are older
2: that's what I yeah, want <laughs> that's awesome well let's sit back and and listen to Kevin in his own words
3: back everybody we are sitting here today with kevin kiner composer extraordinaire he's done stuff you might have watched or seen out there you know he worked on superboy back in the 90s which i watched that show as a kid with my dad he worked on jane the virgin he worked on my <laughs> gosh
0: i think that was the 80s but go it, ahead
3: <laughs> late 80s. i was i was like seven my dad watching that one <laughs> um worked on walker texas ranger you worked on stargate you worked on you know titans and, Doom Patrol and and star wars cartoons so much stuff kevin thank you for coming on how are you doing tonight
0: I'm doing great. It's nice to be here. Hello, everyone.
3: Yeah, I'm so glad you could come on. We, we just we just broke into the world of talking with musicians and composers. Typically on our show in the last three years, we've talked to comic book creators and actors and directors. And then recently we talked to uh, Steve Jablonski and we had a lot of fun with him. So we've expanded out and said, why don't we talk to more people who make music for the things we love? And that's why we reached out to you.
0: Yeah, guys like Steve and myself are lonely people that sit in a room writing music all day. And so we love to talk if we get a chance. I think.
3: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of music. I was in, I started playing drums when I was six and guitar when I was 13 and bass at 14 and played in rock bands and re- recorded and toured around for a while and had a ton of fun doing music. So every, every time I listen to watch a show or watch a, a movie, I always pay attention to the music in the background because, you know, it's, it's, it adds the, all of the atmosphere of, of what you're, you know, taking in. So it's it's exciting for me to talk to people who do that because, whereas I wrote like punk songs and rock songs, this is a totally different world of music,
0: right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I often tell people I'm not in the music business. I'm in the film and television business, really. I mean, I write music. I'm a composer, but I, you know, I don't write songs and I don't work with Beyonce, so it's different. You know?
3: <laughs> not yet. You might someday. Maybe you write her next hit for her. I don't know. So, for those out there who haven't looked you up or know what you've done, do you mind telling me a little bit about how you got started into composing or what got you, what brought you into this world?
0: Yeah, sure. So. I started myself. I mean, we're all different, you know. You know, he started with a classical education, uh, went to Juilliard, I believe, and then became a kind of a great jazz pianist and was a session piano player in Hollywood. And then, you know, one of his big breaks was Jaws, and it's all, you know, I mean, he's probably the greatest film composer ever. He is actually not probably. It's just right what he's the film composer in history. I myself am different. I don't come from a classical background, although I changed my course maybe 25 years ago. But I started off as in garage bands. I mean, I started off as a rock and roller. I was doing Led Zeppelin and then experimental music like Yes or Queen or whatever, just really that kind of more complex rock led zeppelin's probably my favorite band of all time and then i started playing in jazz bands because i could read music and then i i went to ucla my mom told me i couldn't be a a musician because it was a (laughs) dead-end career and she was correct about that so i was pre-med i didn't take any music classes and and then i just uh, probably my sophomore year i started in the summer working in music, doing some recording sessions, doing some gigs in Vegas just to you know supplement my income while I was at university and I, I got a gig as a music director with a group that traveled overseas and a music director is kind of like a conductor and they also right. will do the arrangements and we were it was a Vegas style show so we would have a you know from a 13 to 25 piece orchestra Vegas style orchestra, and it was my responsibility to conduct that band wherever we traveled to. I traveled in Asia a lot, like Tokyo, Philippines, Manila, Jakarta, Indonesia, Thailand, nice. everywhere. And So my job was to write all of the arrangements for them. And that sort of became an entryway into composing. Because say if you're doing an arrangement for, I don't know, some pop song or a, a song that and there isn't really a string part but yet like in tokyo we'd have a string section so i'd have to make up a string part for all of the tunes that we were doing that night and and that's kind of you're kind of you're an arranger but you're kind of making up something so you're a composer and that's what started me in composing cut to i, I got married in the philippines so uh, i I've been married 37 years, so that was awesome. So I decided once I got married that I didn't want to be a road musician any longer. I came back to to L.A., and, and I struggled for about—I was really lucky—less than a year. Road musicians and in-town musicians don't ever cross, and so I, I had no connections in L.A., and I had to get started again. I got really lucky— and I did a theme for a, a blooper show with Don Rickles and Steve Lawrence. Oh, cool. And so I got that. And a bunch of producers from that show got their own shows. And they took me with them. And within two years, I was doing four <coughs> you know, network television shows. Oh, um, and that led to S- Superboy and stuff like that. So that's kind of the course of my career,
3: that's, at least the early,
0: early that's career.
3: That's really cool. So. Superboy was your first like your first TV show you did for a while, right?
0: Well, no, the Blooper show was my first TV show. That was like in 83. Oh, okay. And Superboy was my first dramatic series. There's a big difference between say if you're doing game shows or blooper shows or reality so- shows or whatever to doing dramatic shows where you're doing underscore for drama and and that's kind of a delineation that's hard <clears throat> to break. I mean, I I know guys who do reality shows these days and they they can't get arrested in doing any dramas. They, they just, they can't get those gigs. Nice. So Superboy, and it was with the kinds too. And they'd just done the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. And, and so I was like the next composer they had used. It was a great honor to be hired by them.
3: That's cool. So what can you, do you mind like doing a show like Superboy? And I say that because it was a childhood show of mine with my, my dad and I watched, but I was a huge Superman fan. Which made me a big yeah. Superman fan. Not to go, you know, back to the career too much.
0: I, yeah. I, it was a dream for me. Yeah, nice,
3: nice. So my question for that would be: Is working on that show like what kind of inspiration did you have in making the, the you know, the undertones for the, for what was going on on you know those episodes that were, in my opinion, amazing?
0: <laughs> well, fortuitously for me, that was John Williams had kind of set a benchmark with the uh, Christopher Reeve films. And that was the style that they wanted the score to be. So I I really, you know, way back then, even earlier, I I started studying John Williams and and I studied the guys he studied, like, you know, Stravinsky and Korngold and Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff and all that, you know. So that's when I started educating myself kind of. And uh, it's funny, I I don't have a, a traditional music education yet. I've kind of been overcompensating my whole career for that by, uh, I mean, I continually study scores to this day. I'll go to rehearsals of the LA Philharmonic with a score in hand. Like I'm like, I'm some little student or whatever, and, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell Stravinsky was doing. Cause he's amazing, you know? And so, I, yeah, that's, that's I, cool though. I think I've overcompensated for my lack of education <laughs> by now.
3: Well, I mean, it, it's there's a, there's a thing to be said about always be learning, right? Like anything you do and you want to do well, even though you may become an expert or whatever, and you're always still learning. Even the experts still learn things as, as you go through.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've heard so many successful people talk about, if you watch these, the, uh, so many of the really, really great musicians from Paul McCartney to, you know, wh- whoever, you know, Paul Simon, they they can't read music. And, and they don't have a musical education and yet they have, they have changed the course of musical history. So I've always looked at my lack of education as an example, tried to make it a strength. So I don't know what rules that I'm breaking that I'm not supposed to break, but <laughs> right. if it sounds good to me, I do it. So well, screw the rules.
3: <laughs> exactly. There's, there's something to be said about just not knowing what you're breaking because then you have the freedom to do things that somebody following rules might not do, you know, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about after Superboy, because I don't want to spend too much time on 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of,
0: one of the earliest weird shows I've ever done, but yeah, let's move on.
3: <laughs> so let's, let's, let's jump way ahead and let's talk about Star Wars. Star Wars is, I mean, some people might've heard of it. It's a little show. It's a little movie series, you know, it's out there.
0: Google it if you haven't, it. it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: going into the Star Wars shows that you did, what was like? What was your thought process on getting to that and getting in and and making those scenes and the and the undertones for that?
0: So I, I'll tell you how I got the gig. It was an audition process. So George Lucas was getting antsy and he wanted to make an animated series and he hadn't sold it to anyone. In fact, it, at one point, he even said to all of us, maybe this will just be something that my kids watch <laughs> when, he was, when he was doing Clone Wars, because I think he just got turned down by, by Fox or something like that. And, <laughs> and so he, he's just like that. He financed the, the first film, A New Hope, and he, he financed that himself, too. So anyhow, he, he started doing the animated project, and the word came out there was going to be an audition I think he liked what I was doing on CSI Miami. I'm not positive, but I, I know he wanted to push the envelope of the music in Star Wars a little bit. Mm-hmm. And CSI Miami was a real electronic kind of modern score. And so I think that's how I got to be part of the audition. I think five or six of us auditioned for it. And the audition worked. They flew us up to Skywalker Ranch in, in the Bay Area, and each one of us looked at 10 minutes of the first episode of Clone Wars. And we took that clip home, and then we all scored it the way we thought it should go. There were a couple of really high-profile, great composers that were in that audition, and I can't say who they were, but (laughs) I'm very proud that I got that gig, and and they chose mine. It's the dream come true to, to... win an audition with george lucas (laughs) you know in star wars i mean for heaven's sake that's okay right right so once i i had the gig then i started working with dave filoni who's the executive director and, and supervising director and really ran clone wars and george lucas and i would fly up to skywalker ranch every two weeks and I'd get Facetime with George and just bounce things off the wall, and and it was it was really really fun. Those first two years were really really fun.
1: Oh, with all that, obviously, you talked about your admiration for John Williams. What was it like to kind of follow in his footsteps? What was your mindset with scoring Clone Wars, and then eventually later on you do Rebels? What was your mindset for that?
0: Well, so I, I do clinics and Comic-Con panels all the time, and one of the things I'll bring with me is an old dog-eared score of the original Star Wars suite that John published in the late 70s. I think I put, picked it up in the 80s. And if you can open it to almost any page. It's hundreds of pages long, and it's a full orchestral score. And I've marked it up like people mark up their Bible or, or whatever, your your textbook <laughs> or something like that, with all just what I thought he was doing. And just to remind myself, this trick or that trick. So I'd studied him, you know, since the Superboy days, I, I just wanted to know how he made that sound, you know, and what he was doing, when you have access to somebody's scores, you, you really, on the inside of their mind. Maybe my explanation of what he's doing, like to me, it's a C minor over a B bass or something like that. Maybe he's not thinking of it that way, but that's how I think of it when I see it in the score. So I would write those things down, and you, you kind of learn his what we call the licks. You know, we would learn his. I would learn his little tricks that he did. And, and so, I'll give you an example as a guitar player. Say you want to play the blues. The great thing to do is just find get a BB King record muddy waters or something bb king's master of it and just note for note copy you know like 30 seconds of one of his solos so you can just play it on your own without him playing just you can play exactly every single note that bb king played now the point is not to do that live but the point is to get that under your fingers so that when you go do a blues solo there's a little bit of B.B. King in you uh, because you've kind of learned your fingers can move that way and you kind of learn what his mindset is. And that's what what I was doing by studying John Williams's scores was I, I don't want to imitate him. I just want to have some of him in me, his influence, just the best case scenarios. It becomes part of my vocabulary and I just speak that way musically. But it's really my ideas that are coming out. It's just in his style.
1: I, I think that's that's perfect. I've watched all the Clone Wars. I've watched the Rebels, and and I, it's seamless. It really is. What you do and what you've done is seamless. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and uh, just like John, I'm huge when it comes to music and all sorts of media. That's a big part of it to me. So yeah. when I sat down and watched Clone Wars and Rebels and, and that music, it's seamless. And I do hear... A different style, but it's it fits perfectly because you can tell that it's not John Williams, but it is inspired by what John Williams had created prior. So I really do enjoy uh, what you've done with all that. And, you know, thank you. Getting. Oh, you're very welcome. Getting with that, though, what's the process like or what was the process like? I know right now the final season of Clone Wars is coming or is currently showing. What was the process like for you did they give you an episode and you have a week or two to score it or did you score prior like how does that all work for this one yeah we
0: they give me an episode i get about two weeks to score each episode sometimes longer time sometimes shorter we use live players so i have to orchestrate everything we're on a budget we don't have the london philharmonic every week but we go to Prague we go to Budapest Hungary so we have live players all the time and I score to the pretty close to finished picture the the edits might change or there might be an animation that's not finished but all the voice actors are in pretty much and I'm I'm watching the pretty close to a finished picture while I'm composing
1: what's it like you talked a little bit about it with George Lucas and, and Dave Filoni I'm a Pittsburgh boy myself born and raised oh. Pittsburgh so yeah, Dave yeah. Filoni. Dave Filoni is right from my backyard and it, it was a dream of mine as a kid to one day try and work for Lucas and Lucasfilm and stuff like that and he did it from Pittsburgh what was it like working with him I know that he's pretty much taken over the reins of a lot of that stuff. So was there a lot of influence from Lucas in the beginning and then more Filoni later on, or was it, how did that work?
0: Yeah, I would say that's, that's fairly accurate. You know, there's a great coffee table book. It's got a very young George Lucas and Mark Hamill on the set of the first, uh, of a new hope out in the desert. And there's a lot of, it's not just a picture book. It's got a lot of, of the story of the making of Star Wars and, talks about george how he i mean at, at one time the script was i think one third in japanese with subtitles you know and, and that's oh, how geez. he he because he got all into kurosawa or something so george is a guy who really really wants to push the limit and really always wants to do something differently he, he doesn't want to do the same thing Oh, you know, that's been done. He, he's always and when you do that, you're going to make mistakes. Like I think it would have been a mistake to have a third of Star Wars in Japanese. Uh, and so yeah. he he figured that out eventually and he didn't make it like that. But he did retain a lot of the samurai influence, you know, it, it, in in the film. So that's where his genius is just unbelievable in and, and knowing when to throw things up against the wall knowing what should stick and what should be what's gone too far and he would do that with me i mean he would bring in hip-hop tracks and things that his son was listening to and say hey you know let's do this during when obi-wan's in his y-wing or x-wing or whatever he was in, in in this battle scene and i'm like Yikes. I don't think hip hop's going to work in this. Right. But, but George told me to do it. So I got to do it. And I mean, I understood what he was going for, because I, I knew that experimental kind of mindset he had. So I, I would, I would do something that would, would be really, really super hip hop. But I would also come in with, with something that was a hybrid that still had the orchestra in it. And as well as maybe some beats and hip hops and sounds or whatever that would kind of allude to that. And I played first the straight hip hop one for him and he would go, well, what do you think? And and like one time, and I I hadn't planned to say this, but it just, it came to him and I'm like, and I think that kind of makes us like power Rangers, which, (laughs) you you know, I, I just don't think it's Star Wars. you know, there was like a gasp in the room, you know, there's like 20 executives in this room and they're all like, before George came in the room, they're all like begging me, like, don't do it. Don't, we can't have hip hop in you know, Don't let him do that. But then when he walked in the room, no, everybody shut up because I'm <laughs> the one that's my neck's on the chopping block. You know, nobody will say anything. <laughs> So anyhow, when I when I said the Power Rangers thing, everybody there was like a gasp in the room, <laughs> and 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 he's like, "Oh yeah, I am." And he nodded, and and so then I played him the the one that had the orchestra, but some some of those elements still in it, and he listened, and he was he was hip enough to understand that that was a better choice, and and so I, it's just so cool working with a guy that'll give you. <clears throat> First, that'll push you, but then we'll also take your opinion as valid and really ask you what you think and let an expert do what an expert's supposed to do.
3: That's really cool. So while you're working on Rebels, and this is a, a – I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this show because my wife loves this show. But while you're working on Rebels, you're also working on Jane the Virgin, and you're also working <laughs> on Making Your Murderer. Those are three very different types of shows. <laughs> Not only in tone. Yeah, but in, I had
0: to make sure the right file went to the right
3: people. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I just imagine sending a Star Wars file over to Jane the Virgin. And having, like,
0: you know, off at Lucasfilm, they're like, what are all these conga drums and bongo?"
3: <laughs> I mean, it would have made for a fun episode, all right? <laughs> so when you were working on yeah. Jane the Virgin, was the process for, you know, you said you had like the full episode for like the Star Wars ones and you had like two weeks to, you know, get through that. Was Jane the Virgin similar or was it a tighter schedule because it was a network show and more super popular to more adult yeah, it, audience? It,
0: it would vary. Sometimes those were one-week turnarounds. Also, with Jane the Virgin, that's a very special circumstance. I, I mean, I've done, oh, thousands and thousands of hours of television in my 35-year career. And yeah. I, I've i never worked on a show where the process was the way it was in Jane the Virgin. it it worked out great for Jane. It was just very unusual. So a lot of Jane was stuff that I would do during the summer and they would send me scripts and tell me what was going to happen and all these things. And I would pre-score a lot of that show and give them tracks, especially when I found out like things were working, like they, they wanted something that would start a certain way and then build and build and build. And, you know, I, I, I kind of figured out how the jokes were working and the, how the scenes were progressing. So a lot of the score for Jane was cut in by either a music editor or the picture editors, although, you know, they would still have me score specific scenes. It was really kind of a mishmash of those two different techniques hmm. uh, using previous tracks that I'd i done. It was really, really unusual. And then making a murder, that was all scored to picture. I, I'm very proud of the fact that I, I do really, really different styles. It's something I, I consider my greatest strength is my range and my ability to be a kind of a chameleon. Yeah, And I work really hard at that, too. You know, you have to study different idioms really a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I realize you have quite the array of uh, different types of medium that you've composed with video games and television and, and, and animation. What would you say is... Probably your favorite. Well, there's two different things easiest and favorite. <laughs> and favorite. Uh, so let's we'll take those um, two questions then.
0: <laughs> yeah, doing a, an animated show, for, for one thing, animation is the hardest thing any composer will ever work in. I've been uh, nominated for a, a number of Annie's, and Annie's is it's like the Emmys or Oscars for animation. And I've never won, but I have a speech prepared. And <laughs> part of that speech, it would be just to congratulate my fellow nominees because if you're nominated for an Annie it just means you're a really good composer period because writing music for animation is really freaking hard and then taking now Star Wars and its animation I mean the level of difficulty is is higher than anything I've ever ever worked on in my life i I love I mean, You know, I I don't think anything tops working on Star Wars. I I just don't think anything can top that. I I also, I love working on Doom Patrol. That is just so fun. Completely different style of music. Really, really electronic. Really hip and cutting edge. And makes me, you know, keeps me really current. I really, (laughs) Oh, it's a really fun show. (laughs) Titans is fantastic. Similar style musically narcos is really really a great show to work on the acting and the writing and the stories are are unbelievable in in that show so those are kind of highlights for me
3: that's cool so you've been doing a lot of recently i mean your whole career really doing a lot of uh you know comic book related or sci-fi fantasy related you know scores i assume and tell me if i'm wrong but i assume that means you like comic books and uh, nerdy stuff
0: yeah, I do. I, I, I went to every midnight showing of Star Wars except oh. for A New Hope because I don't think there was a midnight showing for A New Hope. <laughs> so I was a geek way before I got the gig. Like I said way back in the day, doing Superboy. I mean Superman. I was such a fan of uh, Superman. I, I mean I was – I when I was a kid, I'd fly over the couch with the towel <laughs> around my neck and stuff and – yeah, it's just, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't quarterback of the football team. I'll no, put it that way.
3: Me me neither. So outside of star Wars, I, I obviously star Wars is a huge thing for you. What? And Superman too. So I, Superman might be your answer and that's fine. When it comes to comic books and book characters, what would you say is you love the most?
0: So it's probably changed now that I'm an adult, hmm. but when I was a kid, Spider-Man was my thing. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I was watching the old Spider Man, Spider Man, (laughs) you know, that was the one I was watching. You know, I really, I was pretty young. I really loved the Batman TV show. (laughs) And, And I didn't really, I don't think I knew they were a joke, but, or whatever they were. I got to work with Adam West about. Oh, 20 years ago. And it was so oh. cool. And I, 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 did a thing and then just to hang out with him, which is so cool for <laughs> oh, me. I don't know. I deep out it with that one. Yeah. Um,
3: I think we all would.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, I really love the characters in doom patrol right now as an adult. I, I didn't know about doom patrol yeah. in, in, in my earlier years. It's just, it's so cool way it doesn't take itself seriously and yet it kind of does in another way i mean there's the stories are really intricate and there's some really really deep backstories to, to the characters and their emotions and it's really really a neat property i'm so so happy to be part of that
3: have you read any of the comics it's based off of for doom patrol
0: No, I haven't. Mm. A lot
3: of people haven't. If if you ever get a chance to and and feel like reading some comics, the 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 newest Doom Patrol series from Young Animal is it's phenomenal. It's 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 just the same vein as the well, same vein, but similar vein as a TV show, and it's done really really well.
0: Yeah. So when I was growing up, my my brother does computer animation, and he uh, he has for like thirty years. He was a huge, much more of a comic book fan than I was. I, I was more comic tv shows whatever mm. there were which it's probably spider-man and batman was all it was <laughs> right. I, I i remember there was something gigantor but i don't know if that ever came if that came from a comic or not it was <laughs> japanese anyhow my mom thought that comics were like the the most evil you know Ugh just they would turn your mind to mush kind of things in the world. And, and so he literally had to hide his comics under the mattress like you would a playboy or something, you know, when we <laughs> were growing up. Um, and I, I just, I, 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 was never a huge comic book reader. I, I was, I was more just, I, I would watch, I, I'm, I, am i am much more work with visual medium, I guess. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing.
3: Yeah. So going back to composing, cause that's, you know, what you do, is there a project or a, a, something out there that you haven't done or haven't been able to work on that you would want to work on? That's like, if I could do this, obviously star Wars, you already said is like the dream for you, but outside of star Wars that if you could get it yeah. and work on it, that it would be, you know, awesome for you.
0: Man, that's funny. I am so happy doing what I'm doing right now. I, I mean, so, you know, right now I, I, and also, it should be—I I should tell you guys—and I, that I, I work with my sons these days. Um, oh, that's cool. They're both really good composers. And for instance, like the Bad Batch theme, which is kicks off the first of season seven of Clone Wars, that was composed mostly by my oldest son, Sean. That's and, awesome. Uh, and my my other son, Dean, works a lot on Narcos with me, and and Jane the Virgin, and make him murder he he worked a lot in that he went to the berkeley college of music in boston my son sean was like a piano prodigy kind of when he was young but any anyhow so they're really great musicians and it's kind of taken it's allowed me to not really have ghostwriters and still do five shows because it's kind of team kiner now over here and we have three studios (laughs) here at, at at my house it's separate rooms separate buildings and they all work here so i'm currently doing titans doom patrol well, i just just see clone wars and narcos is coming up they had to stop filming in mexico but they'll start up in a yeah. little bit again yeah and uh, city on a hill which is a kevin bacon show on showtime which is a really cool show
3: I've, i haven't that watched one, that yet, one yep. i've heard about it i've heard it's good
0: Oh, it's really good. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon's fabulous in it. That was an audition as well. I mean, those are all really good shows. And I I mean, if I can keep doing this quality of (laughs) of stuff, I'm kind of exactly where I'd always hoped to be, really.
3: I mean, you're kind of living the creator dream of like whatever medium you work in and then having your kids be interested in as well and get into it with you. I mean, for me, I have five yeah. kids and if, and my oldest one's 17, my youngest one is six. If any of my kids pick up any of the creative stuff that I, that I am into, I write and I draw and I write music and I do podcasting. If any of them pick up my interest, you know, that will be like a dream come true for me. Cause I'm like, yeah, come, come to my nerd world, come to my creative world, you know? And it's just, I love hearing <laughs> that with people have their kids come in and, and, and want to do the same thing. Cause it's obviously it's been my dream for years for my kids to take on what I, what, you know, like what I like. <laughs>
0: yeah you know my wife and i we never pushed our kids into it we i made sure like at about six years old they all had music lessons yeah and they all kind of went a different path and my daughter is a visual artist she actually quit music fairly she quit music i always give her trouble because i just purchased a fairly expensive alto flute she was a flute player Mm -hmm. and alto flute's a larger flute than a normal c flute and and so she really, you know, she needed she had a solo and she needed alto flute. So I buy this thing and then two months later she quits. Oh, <laughs> Man, <and> I always <laughs> give her. <laughs> but just, she, I mean, she can draw you. She she went to Academy of Art in San Francisco. a Really, really good place. Got her master's degree. She can d- draw you like a photograph when just from a sitting. Oh, it's awesome. So my kids are all artists and some I mean, we'll, we never pushed them in that direction. We just said, unlike my mother who told me I couldn't be a musician, I never wanted to do that to my kids. Right. And I'm not faulting my mom. I mean, that was a generation where, I mean, you ha- they came up through World War II, and if you were making a living, you were lucky. So yeah. that was the focus, and not so much following your dream for, those, for that generation. But anyhow, yeah. I, I'm just really, I, yeah, I'm really blessed. I, I know very few people. I knew Joel Goldsmith, who was Jerry Goldsmith's son. And Jerry wrote some of the great soundtracks from The Omen to... Right, right, I mean, Jerry's he one of the great soundtrack writers The Omen is great. Joel Goldsmith was one of my best friends, and he's passed away. But he's one of the few guys who's really, you know, was, was very successful on his own um, and being the son. I, I think some of the Newmans, like Thomas Newman is really there's a whole newman lineage of the Lionel Newman and, and Alfred Newman who were the worked in, one of them is the head of fox music wait he wrote right uh, he, he wrote that and now tom newman's you know one of the great film composers who's alive and his cousin david newman is a great conductor and composer Yeah, Yeah, so there's that, but there's it's very few, you know, in our business, and I'm really proud of my kids. Really proud of them.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing with my kids. You know, I don't push them to do anything. I kind of let them find their own track. And you know, I offered them. I had some sort of music lessons, whether it was the ones that actually went to class or the ones that just sat with me, and because they didn't want to go to class, and I taught them what I knew. And then art classes too, because my kids love art. And my eldest son, he doesn't give a rat's ass about creativity. He wants to go fishing all the time. All he cares about is fishing. (laughs) <laughs> which is so weird because I can't stand. I, I've never liked fishing. My dad didn't like fishing. Nobody in my family on my side likes fishing, but he's like, all he wants to be is out, out outdoors and fishing, which I mean, I bought him a boat and got him all of his fishing equipment. He goes fishing on, cause we live close to a lake, which is great for him. But it's just funny. Cause he had, I bought him a guitar similar to your daughter with the food. I, I bought him this nice guitar and then he played it for like a month. And then it's, it's been under his bed for three years. <laughs> so you never tell.
1: Yeah.
0: We all
3: have our own things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you've kind of, we've talked about your career kind of starting at the beginning a little bit then jumping way ahead there. And we've talked about what you're currently doing here. And we asked the question about what you'd uh, like to do. And you've, you've talked about the shows you're currently working on. Do you see yourself continuing doing just a a very wide range of TV shows like consistently or do you, do you. I mean, you said you're happy doing that, but do you want to do film as well, more film as well, or just, or, or a TV show like your, your happy point?
0: You know, it's, these days it's so much the golden age of, of, of content in, in television. It, it's it really it's kind of weird to even call it television. It's, it's sort of a different thing. I mean, that really some of the greatest things I've, shows I've ever seen in my life are like Game of Thrones and Westworld and. You know, whatever I mean. Never mind, movie or TV show. You can't really call it that, can you? You know, right. it's it's just great, great content. So, I mean, if it happens to be a feature, you know, if it was a Star Wars feature, that would be a dream. That'd be cool uh, for sure. It's always nice to have a really big budget and be able to use a, a big orchestra. I, I just want to keep doing really great content and keep getting paid for it kind of <laughs> I
3: guess. that's that's kind very of very accurate very accurate uh, I, keep getting paid to do what you love to do right <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i mean gosh i can't believe I, I, i've been doing it for th- this long i mean you know <laughs> I, yeah my first show is in 1983 so yeah. that's pretty
3: nuts you've got quite the career in 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 it's, it's, it's impressive to look back through your, your history of what you've done. And it's like, wow, all this stuff that I've seen and, you know, through my whole life, cause I'm, I'm 38, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and a lot of the stuff that you've done is stuff that I've watched. And it's just, it's, it's cool. That, it's cool. You know, I like it. Yeah. I'd be remiss as well. If I didn't ask about this, just because I want to, you did the score for the Nick Fury movie with David Hasselhoff.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, I did. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs>
1: Well, you, you know,
0: at the time, it was so cool because I, I knew about, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, you know, I knew about Nick Fury. And and so, you know, it was before it was the first time that came out. So, yeah, it was really fun, you know, and <laughs> uh, it,
1: it,
0: it was it, it was what it was. I mean, you know, David Hasselhoff took it fairly seriously. And, and I think he did a good job. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a television film back in the day when when those budgets weren't maybe as good as they are now. Yeah. But, yeah, it was... It's actually not I mean, bad.
3: I, I actually enjoyed it when I watched it back in the like, I was I was in high school when it came out. I thought I had fun with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of projects I did earlier in my career that... Well, I mean, Superboy is a great example. You know, that I really wish that the production was better than it was in the acting or whatever. Yeah. But But there were also... There were episodes of Superboy that were really good. I mean, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, like that was one of his first acting gigs. And the director was a guy named David Nutter, who's like super A-list uh, yeah. director these days. And, you know, David called me and I, I remember that scene with Joaquin Phoenix. He's a little boy. You know, he I, I mean, the only reason he, we knew him is because he was River Phoenix's brother. Right. right. So there was a scene where uh, Clark Kent's talking with him. I think it was in a library or something like that, and and the the director David Nutter he did this circular he he, he he circled the table in a really tricky way where you couldn't you never saw the lights and stuff like that, and he was really proud of that, and he called me about that scene, and we discussed it how I should score it and the way he wanted it to sound and stuff. So, man, even that show which. Some people might consider a little campy or whatever. It has some really good moments where. Oh
3: yeah.
0: It was awesome to, to score that and work with a really visionary director, and you know, and try to, you know, to to make his project better. It was, you know, invaluable experience and a fun time.
3: Yeah, I mean, campy or not, I, I like I said, I love that show. I watched it all the time, and I, I always always it, it was really funny because one of the actors who played Clark Kent on that show, John Newton. I have no relation to him, but like my my legal name is just the letter J, and my legal middle name is just the letter N. I only have, and I go by John because it's easier for people to understand, you know, John than explaining my name is just a letter all over and over again. But Uh if you go back and
0: tapes or what happened with
3: that? So this, this, well, I'm I'm actually I'm the third, and my my youngest son is the fourth. So there's you know four people with those letters for names. My it comes from my parents. My my lineage comes from the south, and back in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s, my grandfather's great uncle, his name was John Newton. And he was a, yeah. he was the first person in the family in the U S to make a name for himself. Right. So they named their son after him, which is what you But they just used the initials because he just went, he didn't, he didn't go by John Newton. He just went by the initials. So that all trickled down to now <laughs> here. I just have initials and so does my son. But I always like, when I found out that one, of the, you awesome. know, one of the, one of That's the, one of the actors cool was story. named, it, it is a cool story. And then it's, it's interesting because, it's, I spent my whole life you know, I've, in, in my life. I've gone by various names because in high school, I was J N cause my initials in college. I was just J cause I was in college. And then I got married and my wife was like, you know, you're going by John cause J is not a real name for the, <laughs> for the show. The guy's name was John Newton. I always thought that was cool. Cause my name's yeah. not John Newton, but if you go back far enough, that's what it meant. So like I had this weird mental yeah. connection to the show just, just because of that, you know,
0: his name was John Hames Newton, I think yeah, too. Yeah. And you, you know, I, it was, it was kind of a shame that he he quit. Although Chris, the guy who took over, was really good as well. Yeah, I think it was a really big misunderstanding. I think he, John, may have had bad representation or something. But they kind of came to an impasse negotiating the second season. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it was a shame that that he didn't continue on in a way. Although you know, again, Jerry was really good too.
3: Yeah, it was unfortunate, but I mean it. Both the actors did a great job on the show. So it were, I mean, it ultimately yeah. worked out for the fans, but
0: yeah. you know, <laughs> I thought Stacy Heideck was great in
3: that show. Too. Oh, as, as Lana Lang. Yeah, she was great. I mean, she was the only one who was in all the episodes.
0: <laughs> Is that so? Yeah. Wow. There's a piece of trivia. Yeah.
3: She's the only one who made it through all hundred episodes. Everybody else could, because they changed cast on the main, you know, Superboy changed yeah. after the first season. And she was yeah. the only constant, which was kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to ask the questions you probably can't answer because Oh and
0: me, yeah, I was a constant.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, sorry, but well, you weren't on the show. You're in the background of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so IMDb has listed a, an, an untitled star Wars project for you. Can you talk yeah. about that at all? Or is that a no, no right
0: uh, now? I'm not aware of that listing. What is it? A video game. I did. Yeah, it's, a, a it's, a video,
3: it's a video game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that got shelved. Mm. and I mean I worked about two years on that Oh, geez. we recorded about 60 minutes of music uh, with a great orchestra um, and that will never see the light of day as a oh. really sad situation had nothing to do with the music the, the, the entire project got shelved and I, I don't know why I have no idea why but it was going to be cool it was uh, the showrunner she did uh, what what was it uncharted maybe
3: yeah Amy Henning.
0: Amy Amy Hennig. Yeah. she was really fun to work with I, I really enjoyed working she's very similar to to George Lucas oh yeah uh, yeah just kind of a visionary and even her mannerisms and the way she I don't know just the way she was to work for her. it' was very similar to working with George
3: oh that's unfortunate that it's not gonna not gonna come out I hate
1: I mean,
0: it sucks. I mean, can you, I mean, I got paid. Yeah. That's not what it's about. You know, I, I mean, I have themes in that thing that are some of the best <laughs> themes I've written. My son has, both my sons have really good themes that we can't use ever. Oh,
3: like,
0: ah,
1: that's the worst.
3: You have great stuff you love, but can't share it and use it. And it's just, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you will ever, ever, be able to like let fans hear that ever at all or is it just a shelf the night night I ever don't be used? think
0: so I because I, I, it was you know it was the two largest video game companies on earth it was Sony in conjunction with electronic arts so EA yeah. and Sony so I have a feeling <laughs> like 3,000 lawyers would come and like, machine them <laughs> my house if I did that or something
3: yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> so let's not do that <laughs> <laughs> oh man well Kevin we've been talking for about an hour now it's kind of crazy how time flies uh, when you're having fun <laughs> I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your insight with all the stuff that you've done and, and listening to our silly stories and and having some fun with us tonight. I really appreciate that.
0: Well, it's great to meet you. And I I hope everybody gets to see the new season of Clone Wars because it's the best. And I always tell people it's, it's what we all hoped Clone Wars would be when we started 12, 13 years ago. Oh, that's awesome.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we'll be. I watched Clone Wars. My 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 fourteen year old is a huge Star Wars fan. Like one of the things he wanted for his birthday, which was last month, was a you know just lightsabers. He just wanted lightsabers. He and he's been asking me for a year now to go to Disneyland and get one of the the Galaxy's Edge lightsabers. That's all he wants. But yeah, we're, we'll be, we'll be watching that because and he I think I think he already is watching the ones that are out. I haven't I haven't sat with him yet though. But he's watched all the Star Wars stuff on the Disney Plus app multiple times. <laughs>
0: And the soundtracks are available there on the Disney site, and the 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 third installment or fourth, I forget. Of the soundtracks, is all the new soundtrack is going to come out in a few days, I think. Oh, cool! And that's all with a full orchestra, the uh, City of Prague uh, Philharmonic, as well as a couple of. We did a couple of hours recording in Budapest, Hungary, with uh, their their orchestra as well.
3: Oh, that's awesome! That is awesome. Well, Kevin, again, thank you so much for coming on. And if you ever have anything you want us to push out on our site on the podcast, you know, by all means, let us know. We're happy to help promote whatever you have because that's what we, do, oh, we well, do. if
0: anybody wants to hear my music, you can hear it on KevinKiner.com. I don't really have anything for sale, but if you want to just see what I'm doing, that's where I'm at.
3: For everyone, we'll include a link to that on the on the show notes, so everyone just click on it and go right there.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yep. That was
2: a fun interview.
3: Yeah, I think I think so too. It's it's uh, one of the rare times where I lead an interview, and it's I have a lot of when, when, I, when it's it's when I have somebody that I feel like I can talk to, right? Because yeah. I have they've done something or there's a, there's a shared interest there that I feel like I uh, I do a good job, and I felt like I did a good a good job on this one because I had a lot of fun with Kevin and, and Robert was there to ask some Star Wars questions because he's a much bigger Star Wars fan than I am, right. and uh, Kevin is definitely a Star Wars fan for sure. Cause we talked a lot about his history with Star Wars and stuff and. It was really cool. Like we started off, you know, catching over, connecting over to Superboy and stuff. And you know, if you haven't watched the old Superboy TV show, you definitely should go watch it. It's a lot of fun. It's on the DC Universe app. It's a lot of fun to watch.
2: I like it. I yeah. like it. Well, that was cool, man. you think we can get him on again?
3: Oh, I 100. think we haven't come back on and talk about um, just anything. I we, we we talked after the show about him coming back on and just talking about Star Wars for just for fun.
2: <laughs> nice. Well, there you guys go. Yeah. That was a great interview. Thanks for getting that done, John. Thanks for oh, to Robert sure. of bridging the geek them and shooting the Sith, yeah. coming on and pinch henning in in, in the uh, the ninth the ninth inning there. Right, and, right. Uh, That's a lot of fun.
3: That's cool. Yeah, I should also before we cut this out, I should also mention that he did also compose CSI Miami for 144 episodes. So, holy crap. Yeah. So we should probably we didn't talk about that. What that could be a whole episode on its own talking about CSI Miami, but. You know, because that's the one all the memes come from.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's his name? I can't remember the actor's name that was the head, the lead in CSI or Miami. His name escapes me, but the the sunglasses. David Caruso. David Caruso. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The the sunglasses were yeah. just. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the walk away and the turn back and the removing or the putting on the sunglasses. Oh, God. I guess he was dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anyways Kevin was great uh, classic. <laughs> I
3: look forward to talking to him again
2: <laughs> alright guys if you enjoyed that then I would thoroughly encourage you to go over to spoilerverse.com and check out our back catalog you will find Kevin Kiner and a plethora of other police. actually if you liked Kevin Kiner then you should check out Steven Jablonski as well
3: yeah another composer extraordinaire
2: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we kind of run the gambit here. Yeah. We don't just do comic books and movie stars and TV actors and directors. We also hit the music because, if anything, we just love pop culture and everything it has to offer.
3: That's right. That's right. We talk to everybody. Anybody who has something creative to talk about, we're happy to talk with them. And it's, it's, I got to say, man, this this show is a lot of fun to do. It's
2: all about passion. Yeah. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, like, for instance, we had Ian Douglas on. Yeah. Ian Douglas has a YouTube show that has a ton of followers and gets a lot of hits. Yeah. And all he does, well, it's not all he does. I shouldn't say like that. But what he does for his YouTube show is he opens packages of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah. And shows up his I don't about even know Yu-Gi-Oh.
3: Yeah. I know don't, I, I don't nothing about Yu-Gi-Oh.
2: Yeah. But he was a hoot to talk with because he loves Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. He understands all the different things and all the different cards. And he has a lot of fun doing it. And it just oozes out of him. Yeah, And those are the kind of people we want to talk with.
3: Yeah, so check out that episode because it's actually a two-parter. Because the first part's us all talking about you know, his Yu-Gi-Oh collection and his channel and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. And then the second part, which was which posted in a separate episode, is us talking about the MCU and speculative stuff. And you know, more questions he asked us, which was a lot of fun. And... As Kenrick said, it's just—it's all about that passion. You have passion for something that, that we want to talk to you about that because whether it's you're passionate about you know m- composing or writing music or writing comic kind of books or making movies or passionate about you know non sports cards or U-Q cards or, or magic cards, whatever—it's the passion that makes it fun.
2: <laughs> it is—it's all about that passion. It's—it's a, it's a lot of fun. How many times can we say passionate? two minutes
3: apparently a lot
2: (laughs) (laughs) apparently so all right guys if you like that please go back check out the back catalog you'll find a ton of interviews not just from kevin kiner or steve jablonski or ian douglas but a bunch bunch more if you want to do more you can go to our our, you can go to your podcatcher not our podcatcher we don't have a podcatcher maybe someday we will have a podcatcher but we don't have a podcatcher (laughs) i mean we have enough
3: shows to have our own podcatcher
2: right but (laughs) If you really, really, really want to help us out, go to your podcatcher on your smartphone. Do a search for the Country. Hit subscribe to get the newest episodes. And then try going to either your podcatcher that you prefer or maybe iTunes because a lot of podcatchers are aggregators that pull from iTunes or they pull from Google Play. That's where most of them come from. Go check out those sites and give us a review because that helps us out tremendously. And then... Johnny, why don't you tell them about our amazing new store?
3: Yeah. If you go to spoilers.com and click on the store button at the top, they'll take you right to our T public store where you and you and your friends or you and your mom or your grandma or whoever you want to take there can go purchase a spoiler country or a spoilers or a shooting the Sith, or a bridge in the gate gems or a museum point radio or a polygon warriors t-shirt hoodie mask mug you can be like me and you could buy a six and a half by five foot six tapestry of one of our logos and put it on your wall because i bought one because why wouldn't you and you need to go there and do this and show your love we get a few dollars for it, which helps us pay the bills here but also you'll look fly as hell and you can tell everybody that you listen to the coolest <laughs> podcast around
2: you look fly as hell i love that <laughs> all right guys we are out don't forget In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. (laughs) And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind
3: and read more.